It's the ERP Confab. I'm David Essex, industry editor at Tech Target's ERP website. Hybrid ERP combines on-premises ERP for common business processes like accounting and HR with cloud applications, typically software as a service, for more specialized functions such as customer experience or field service management, or even a second ERP for a new subsidiary. Why deploy hybrid ERP and what type of enterprise architecture do you need? To learn about the practical issues of hybrid ERP, I talked to Ian Saunderson, Chief Technology Officer of Spinnaker's Support, a third-party provider of maintenance and managed services for SAP and Oracle ERP and databases and Salesforce CRM. We also talked about how hybrid ERP can extend the life of on-premises ERP amid pressure from vendors to move to full SaaS and what he's hearing from Spinnaker customers. Ian, I'm wondering if maybe we could start with you explaining what Spinnaker support does, including what your primary business is in and maybe the different services you offer, who your customers are also. Spinnaker supports essentially a replacement option for vendor software support. Um, you know, that means a few different things, but essentially what Spinnaker does is we replace the vendor support stream. So, you know, the traditional um, method of logging tickets with the vendor and getting support from the vendor switches to Spinnaker support. You know, we, we effectively replace that at a substantially reduced rate, but also at a much higher service level increase. So staffed with highly experienced engineers, um, you know, 18, 20 year plus veterans who are really domain experts in their areas, answering questions as the first line of support, but also most importantly, at a substantially reduced cost. You know, you know, certainly there's a whole bunch of other um, areas and options we can go into, but that's the core of the service. Mm -hmm. You know, Spinnaker also has a thriving uh, managed services business, as well as a um, our Salesforce business. Mm -hmm. So we do Salesforce consulting, we do Salesforce managed services. Yeah. So all this together make us a pretty holistic um, IT services company. What kinds of services and products do you offer expressly to help companies extend the life of their on-premises SAP and Oracle ERP systems and maybe put off moving their ERP to the cloud as long as possible? Yeah, so with the challenge of moving to an additional a third-party support vendor, you know, you're often faced with trying to extend the life of existing versions. So those versions, you know, generally come with an end of life from the vendor and the Spinnaker world we want our customers to really extend that life as far as possible. So the, the, the challenges are usually around security, around interoperability, and you know, tax and regulatory updates. Um, those three areas we have product portfolio solutions for that we can you know, really kind of insert our products and our solutions to really extend the life. You know, security, we have a comprehensive security offering that, that, that really matches, at least matches the vendor security level you know, in terms of just the, the risk profile that we're able to provide to our customers, you know, around interoperability, you know, the challenges are often around interfaces, around just security standards, around compatibility with browsers, um, operating systems. Um, in all those areas, we have products that can really connect and bridge those interoperability challenges. Quite often, the only reason a customer really goes to um, and stays with the vendor support is because they're going to continue to receive those compatibility updates. You know, if those compatibility updates don't become a challenge anymore, they really have freedom to really express and stay on the versions they want to stay on, the versions that are stable, the versions that are working, 
the versions that have their customizations in. So, so you know, meshing together um, those solutions with you know those solutions with, with their versions allows them to really extend that for obviously not an infinite amount of time, but a substantially long amount of time. You know, we, you know, we have as an example, um, we probably have customers running technology that's probably 30 years at the extreme, but not uncommon to be, you know, 15, 20 years. Do some of these solutions that you're offering, I assume it goes beyond services like time of IT people and programmers and all that. And you, do you have actual like extensions, what might be called extensions of ERP that you yeah. add on so to? So we really have a, you know, across all our products, so across the security portfolio products, which we call Spinnaker Shield, across our interoperability products called Spinnaker Link, we have a combination of kind of service offerings as well as products. Not everything can be solved with a product, especially in the security space. You know, it's great to have a product that you can slot in that will solve the problem. But quite often it's it's our engineers working with the customer on developing solutions and implementing our kind of documented approaches. We don't charge anything extra for these services. They're included as part of the service. You know, you pay a fixed fee, those services come with it. So it's, you know, especially in the security space, it's tools, it's services, Kind of the same with interoperability. We have a few developed products that have been developed in-house to bridge certain technologies and make them work together. But a lot of times it's a case of implementing a solution brief or um, getting one of our consultants to help implement you know, a, a particular type of solution in your environment. So it's really a combination. It's a lot of services and a lot of products. Um, on the tax and regulatory side, it's a lot of working with our customers with their customizations to keep their tax and regulatory and legislative updates in place. Um, that's normally you know, done on a bespoke basis where we log in and we develop those customizations for each and every customer in the ERP um, at no additional cost. It's included in the, uh, the package bundle um, and they get that as part of the service. So mm -hmm. a complicated answer, but really multifaceted. Do any of Spinnaker's customers, or do you say that they have what you might call a hybrid ERP architecture? Yeah, we do. You know, I look at the world, probably certainly hybrid ERP, but in the bigger um, picture of ERP, definitely hybrid IT. You know, we see hybrid IT and hybrid ERP um, everywhere now. You know, it's, it's, in, it's in different forms. Some of it is infrastructure, some of it is platform, some of it is SaaS. But we see it at every customer, maybe by circumstance of acquisitions. Sometimes it's trying out sort of DevOps opportunities and a platform as a service solution like Amazon's RDS. So we see hybrid ERP, we see hybrid IT everywhere, pretty much all of our customers nowadays. It's really no customer that hasn't tapped into some form of cloud. How would you define hybrid ERP if it's possible to state it in a sentence or two? A lot of different opinions. I mean, I look at really hybrid IT and hybrid ERP as kind of an aggregation of an on-premise solution with some sort of cloud solution. The cloud solution definition is pretty generic in nature. You know, there's various types of cloud. You know, people don't often, when they use the word cloud, go into those details. So hybrid cloud could be maybe um, platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, or software as a service, mesh with some sort of um, on-prem ERP system. You know, it's mm -hmm. kind of that, that meshing of a few different cloud you know, versions. Um, some people would include two-tier ERP, I think, under the hybrid ERP umbrella. 
And I know the phrase was popular a few years ago. I'm actually having a little trouble telling if that's really used in the industry or if that's a phrase <laughs> that vendors use as a sort of a marketing term to maybe pitch a, one of their newer cloud-based products. You know, SAP is a good example. All the major vendors have a variation, some kind of newer SaaS type product that can be added probably more quickly. Do you actually use the term and do your customers use the term two-tier ERP? Yeah, I have. I've heard the term, but I've never heard a customer overtly use that term. To me, there's two forms of 2T ERP. There's the, you know, homogenous where you're running maybe two financial systems, you, you maybe an on-prem and a, you know, maybe a cheaper cloud version, as well as just, you know, 2T in terms of, you know, maybe a manufacturing system is in one um, area and then, a, you know, an ERP is in a, in a different tier. Not something we hear often. I mean, we do see it and of a lot of our larger clients, just by circumstance of M&A activity they've done, mm -hmm. um, maybe done acquisition, you know, divisional ERP has been running for a while. And by just nature, they have that spread of um, various ERPs, maybe sitting at different levels, you know, maybe a tier one ERP, like a, an SAP or an EBS, and maybe a, a tier two system like a QuickBooks or something mm -hmm. smaller. So, so you do get that, that hybrid combination just by the nature of business and just by the nature of the way the organization has right. changed. Over so time. it's like a rose by any other name kind of situation. In other words, people yeah, do, but that's design. not what they call it. <laughs> yeah, it's never by it's never by intentional design. I mean, mm -hmm. certainly you do an acquisition, you hope to assume that control of that financial system. And by just the nature of budgets and timeframes, it gets you know left out and, and run as a separate, you know, org, you know, separate organization. And it may come together over time, but it generally just you know, lingers out there, then there's a consolidation process that brings everything together. It's been apparent to me from watching what SAP has been doing with its newer products and the big push to go to the cloud. And I would say probably same thing with Oracle and N4, mostly with SAP though, I think more. Hybrid ERP might be a route, just a halfway house to eventual migration entirely to the cloud. First of all, is it that? And if so, can we talk a little bit about typically how people might use hybrid ERP, not as a long-term thing, but as a way to get to the cloud? I speak to a lot of people about that very question. And, you know, when you drill into specifics about what they want to achieve with cloud, there's a lot of ambiguity around what cloud means. You know, I like to break up cloud into kind of three major areas, you know, the infrastructure, the platform, and, and the software. And, you know, when you drill into people's wants and desires and aims and objectives, they're not sure where they want to land up. They know they've got to get to some cloud at some point, you know, they, because there's this, this push from investors, maybe the board around, you know, get to the cloud. You know, when you drill into what cloud success looks like, they don't always have a clear roadmap. So the opportunity exists for hybrid cloud. You can do it an easy way. Maybe take your existing ERP, your existing, you know, SAP solution and move it to, into an infrastructure as a lift and shift type exercise. Or you can go, you know, full hog and move to a completely new uh, SaaS solution. My experience is what I'm seeing is a lot of people, when it's explained, prefer to go to the infrastructure solution as a first step. You know, take the investment, not lose the investment, but really take it, move it to an infrastructure platform reap the benefits of going to the cloud, declare the cloud success, 
and then gradually look to move to a platform or software as a service in the years to come. Quite often people want to you know, bite off the whole big you know, SaaS journey in one big, one big bite rather than doing it in incremental pieces. No, it, so we see a lot of move to, to infrastructure as a cloud, you know, simply moving to a platform like Azure VM or AWS EC2 has an easy way to get cloud penetration, test it out, and then start growing from there. Maybe bolt on a SaaS solution onto that cloud, um, that legacy cloud product that's now hosted in the cloud, and then kind of grow from there. It's almost a hybrid, hybrid cloud. You know, you've got on-premise, and you maybe got a few different flavors of, of cloud, um, all with varying degrees of ease to achieve. And you can still say that you've achieved something. It has seemed like to me like it's been a bit of smoke and mirrors from the ERP vendors, not from folks like you necessarily, but from the ERP vendors about cloud, putting the term cloud on things. And often you find, you know, it's still the on-premises system. It might be called private cloud. They might have just literally lifted and shifted right. to some more affordable cloud and still get some of the benefits like being able to dial capacity up and down, that kind of thing. Is it possible to name the type of cloud that you folks at Spinnaker are working the most with lately for your customers? Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I was at a Gartner event about a month and a half ago and speaking to a lot of people coming up to the booth and asking us questions and <laughs> a lot of panic and, you know, seeking help on how to save their cloud migrations. Now there's various forms of those. A lot of those references and questions we got asked were around maybe sort of more sort of our SaaS based solutions from traditional vendors. Um, not going into names, but maybe the products aren't as mature as maybe a Salesforce or a Workday and struggles with with those kinds of solutions. So, mm -hmm. so certainly people are trying them. You know, what we're seeing is, you know, people moving more to the infrastructure type solutions. On commodity clouds, we, we see a lot of um, AWS migrations, particularly EC2, some RDS. Um, we see some Azure VMs. Um, and certainly probably the equivalent of Google. Obviously, those three are the, probably the biggest um, public clouds that we see. Probably um, AWS kind of leads it simply because AC2 has got such a low um, barrier to entry in terms of doing a, a successful lift and shift. There's a lot of engineering expertise out there. There's tons of partners out there. Um, they have a great partner network. Spinnaker has certified engineers on those lift and shift exercises. It's an easily achievable win to get to an EC2 lift and shift cloud environment. How do you help customers think through the cloud choice issue? I know that's a huge question and maybe you spend half your time doing that. Like, you know, private cloud, uh, which public cloud so-called hyperscaler to use or not use, all those kinds of things. There are, are a few rules of thumb or certain situations that lend themselves to one type of cloud versus the other. Yeah, so certainly it's a road mapping exercise, you know, understanding what they want to achieve. Is there a business problem they're trying to solve? Are they trying to just really, you know, stick a stake in the ground, a flag to say they've achieved cloud success? Really understanding what the objectives are. Once you get the objectives, you can kind of build a proposal, kind of recommendation around, you know, how to best proceed. You know, is it, are we looking at a full-blown application migration to maybe you know, SAP to Workday or something as impactful and as significant as that, or you're looking at a smaller lift and shift to, you know, achieve cloud success. So trying to understand those objectives and breaking those down, you know, so often when I speak to people, um, the focus is this, I, I need to get to the cloud. And, you know, what does that mean? 
you know, how do you gauge the cloud? You know, is it an on-prem cloud? Is it a, is it an infrastructure cloud? How do we measure that success? You know, I think that that's the first point in kind of really decomposing the problem. Once we understand what they're trying to do, you know, looking at maybe existing in-house competencies to see, you know, chances are they've probably been doing existing development in some cloud platform. There's a, there's a large portion of Skunkworks projects we find around um, RDS and organizations that somebody's taken a credit card and has, has got, you know, 20 RDS environments installed in their infrastructure. And so they've got the skills. It's not just a recognized platform, but they can but they can leverage those skills to then further their cloud journey. So I think just breaking it down, the biggest piece is understanding the success. The, the, you know, the biggest feedback I would give anybody is, is break down what cloud means to you. It's a problem that we're, we can very easily solve and walk through if you can quantify that problem. Isn't part of the calculation that to truly go to SaaS, multi-tenant SaaS, like the new version of somebody's ERP is the biggest change in terms of business processes. It just is a bigger decision in some ways, especially if they've been doing things a certain way for 20 or 30 years. Yeah, it's massive. There's going to be so many customizations um, in those legacy systems that probably aren't documented. They've got everybody qualified. That functionality is probably not going to exist in the SaaS system. So that that's a huge paradigm change, way of doing business, education change for users. It it doesn't come easy. You know, looking at the more mature systems and moving edge systems to cloud first as a as a technique or approach that we've you know, had success with. You know, if your if your core business is not CRM, moving your CRM systems first potentially. If you're a heavily manufacturing centric organization, moving your financials second as opposed to your manufacturing systems just getting the priorities so you leave the really important systems um sort of last and you sort of crash and burn on the less you know significant systems mm -hmm. we see a lot of customers doing that first it, it's not take your most important system your financial system let's move that first we also find just the functionality in in a lot of your know, legacy um nrp vendors is just not there yet um there's a lot of work that's got to be done in the systems we, we've seen people go to SaaS solutions and then come back from SaaS solutions. I was at Gartner mm. a few weeks back um, speaking to a company that does a lot of manufacturing. They moved to a SaaS solution. They moved back to the on-premise solution. You know, luckily they were running Oracle EBS. They had their existing uh, manufacturing system already set up um, in the EBS system, in the financial system. So it was a fairly easy move back to the on-premise solution. But they thought they'd done their homework. They thought they'd done their due diligence. It just it just didn't work, and they had to go yeah. back. And they they went back with Spinnaker support, so they could you know they could they could have the advantage of third party support. Um, didn't have to rely on that vendor roadmap around whether the system is supported or not supported. You then needed to do upgrades. So they have they had some flexibility around that third party support model in terms of moving back. Yeah, for some reason. I'm laying on the sarcasm heavily. I haven't seen these moves back from the cloud back to on-premises heavily, you know, shouted from the rooftops by the the vendors. And I wonder how much it's going on if it's fairly prevalent. And it's it's interesting, you know, we were shocked by the number of people who were coming up to our booth asking if we could help them with their their kind of ERP implementations. Hmm. Um, you know, we don't do that as a call on a business, but that they've gone down a path of six months, eight months to even, I heard a year mm -hmm. um, where they're still trying to get this product implemented and it's just cycling and cycling and cycling and they can't get to closure. Mm. Um, they need to make the tough decision 
so that where they back it out and go back to the traditional ERP, the on-premise ERP, or they try and push through and just blow the budget. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's not an easy decision, but we did see multiple companies um, coming to us and asking the question. You've alluded to interoperability a few times. You've mentioned that there must be significant integration challenges, I would think, in setting up and maintaining hybrid ERP, especially. What are some of the most common integration challenges? Yeah, so we, we, we really break um, kind of interoperability in four major categories. There's obviously the operating system interoperability challenges around you know, legacy operating systems, um, working with older versions of the software and vice versa. There's kind of interface challenges. So probably the most common recent one is the Office 365 um, enablement where um, older legacy applications stop um, working with maybe modern cloud-based infrastructure like Office 365. So that's kind of an interface category. Um, we see a lot of interfaces, so interfaces to banking around encryption standards, you know, Certain banks are going to require more recent encryption standards. You know, the application is only going to support old encryption standards. And then finally, um, you're around sort of desktop kind of issues. Desktop issues are a little bit of a, a bucket around those issues, but it includes browsers. It includes the desktop products like Excel, Word. Um, it includes Java. Those challenges around making your existing, you know, front-end UI work with the applications. So we kind of group our interoperability products and portfolio into those four categories. Um, you know, within those four categories, we have products, um, you know, solution briefs, um, you know, that that solve the most common problems. They're always being added to. I'm on calls probably weekly with customers who are highlighting new problems or problems that we are, you know, seeing on vendors' roadmaps that are going to be occurring in the next year with, you know, maybe de-support notices from certain cloud vendors. As we see those initiatives and those challenges for our customers, we, we, well, we start a development cycle. You know, we start looking at, um, ways to approach those problems, whether we're going to develop a product, whether we're going to partner with a, a solution, or they're going to develop a kind of an in-house solution brief that we can publicize to our customers. All that comes as part of the service. There's no additional cost for our interoperability products. They're included as part of our service. We we offer them as long as the customers are spending a customer. Mm -hmm. So it's a complicated um, landscape, but we kind of group it into one of those four buckets. I see. Can you talk a little bit about what's in the solution brief? Is it is it literally a bunch of steps that they can follow themselves, or is there more to it yeah. than that? No, exactly that. I mean, some of the some of the solutions, some of the problems are fairly straightforward. That they they fairly iterative in how we solve them. But it may be going into the registry and adding you know this parameter and tweaking this configuration in IE. That, that might be a solution brief. You know, there's no point in writing a product or a script to do two or three steps. So we put in a nice, you know, a readable document that uh, we give to our customers. We have a support engineer log on, do, do a screen share, um, walk the customer through deploying the solution, and then be on call when the customer moves it to production and so forth. The more complicated solutions, we give the client software, we walk them through installing the software, and they get to use that software as long as they're spending the customer. Mm -hmm. Do you see a scenario where a certain percentage, let's say in 10 years, a certain percentage of Spinnaker customers are just going to stay on hybrid ERP and never make the move to the cloud or push it off indefinitely? Yeah, I mean, I see our larger customers are so invested in the on-prem infrastructure, on-prem custom systems, even the hybrid kind of configuration with maybe the hybrid ERP or hybrid IT alongside custom developed infrastructure, maybe in the banking space, in the telecommunication space, 
it's tough to break some of that apart. I think there'll always be to some degree an on-prem data center running some on-prem applications. Trying to decouple a two or 3,000 database landscape is incredibly complex. You know, you're looking at, you know, seven, 10, 15 year projects. So I think, you know, there, there may be a shift in the industry from, from cloud to some, you know, some other paradigm, whether it's an on-prem cloud or kind of more of a kind of a standardized hybrid cloud. Now, I think there's always going to be some sort of on-prem, especially with our larger enterprise customers. I think smaller customers will, will likely be able to make that cloud journey with a combination of maybe SaaS and infrastructure as a service products to, to be able to push that data center to the cloud. You know, Spinnaker being a good example, you know, we've been, we've been successful in, in using almost cloud only. Certain things we've had to bring in-house just by the nature of our growth in terms of our unique reporting requirements or our, maybe our data warehousing requirements don't necessarily fit into a cloud-based you know, infrastructure. The same would apply to our customers. You know, short answer is you know, hybrid IT and hybrid ERP is here to probably stay for at least the next probably 15, 20 years. Well, Ian, this has been interesting. I really appreciate your coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you, David. It was great having you. I look forward to talking further.